Amen and amen. All right. I just like having um, all these pregnant women on stage. It's kind of cool, right? They have all these babies. Hopefully these babies are like dancing in there, you know? Worshipmen, it's kind of cool legacy. Like, hopefully, thanks for sharing that with us. Like, they, they just come out with hands lifted up, right? Praise the name of Jesus. That'd be kind of cool. This might shock the doctors a little bit, but that's... Uh, that's a kind of that's a pretty neat legacy, I think, just to have uh, all these pregnant people like leading worship and and practice. I'm gonna move this out of the way because I'll run into it. Uh, but uh, had a really good concert this Friday, right? Who was here? Maybe a few of us. Yeah, they were uh, Big Daddy. We I might say that he, he was much better than what I would have expected, uh, but he was really good. What a blessing. Uh, but we've been working up to Easter, basically this, obviously Easter is all about Jesus and, and the, everything's obviously about Jesus, but we kind of focus in and spend some time working through the cross and the resurrection or working up to it. And uh, we've been kind of working through some different things. We taught, John just brought a really strong word about self-control and uh, Judas last week, and we're kind of working our uh, progressing along here. And we're really getting to an interesting section of Scripture where we're moving into the garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, which, uh, which there's a lot of different thoughts about what's going on in there, and there's a lot of different things going on in there, but there's definitely this, this thing of just uh, agony going on there, entering into a time of prayer, and, the, and Jesus really seeking out what, what, uh, what the will of the Father was, and uh, I want to read this passage. Let's turn to Matthew 26, if you will. And I really want to work through this passage a little bit. And I think you'll get some good insights as Jesus is leading up to the cross and how the Lord is kind of preparing his heart for that. And it, he enters into the garden and shortly after they've done this last supper. He's taken a few of his disciples and they've gone off to pray and just spend some time preparing their hearts for what's about to come. Jesus is really preparing his heart for what's about to come. And in Matthew 26, uh, 36 through 50 kind of explains it. And then, and then we're going to go into a time and we're just going to watch what happens through like seeing the passion of the Christ um, after we read this passage. So Matthew 26, 36 says this, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began to, sorrow, uh, to be sorrowful and troubled. So you see Jesus just in this place of, he, he begins, you can tell he's like just in pain. I mean, we don't see Jesus cry a whole lot throughout the scriptures. I mean, some, but, but to actually say that he was sorrowful and troubled. You know, there's something that's heavy on his heart here. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. In fact, Luke says that he began to even sweat drops of blood. Uh, that's how much agony he was actually in in this moment was that he was in, uh, under such duress, under such stress, that blood droplets started to form out of his pores because he was in such deep concentration and under such, uh, I don't want to say panic, but distress about what was getting ready to come up. And it actually says that he was under such stress in this point that angels came to minister to him during this time. That it, the Lord sent min, uh, ministering angels to him. It, it talks about that in Luke. Uh, and he came to his disciples. This is 40. Oh, I'm sorry. Back to 30, uh, 38. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. 
And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could, you could not watch with me one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So his disciples keep on falling asleep here. You ever been in a place where you're just like praying and you end up um, like passed out somewhere? Uh, it, it, because you, you just kind of, your flesh becomes weak sometimes when it's being the spirit and the flesh, they conflict with one another. Like Rebecca a lot of times comes out and I'm like laid out on the floor in the living room and she's like runs into me because all the lights are off. And it's like, uh, whoops, fell asleep while praying, and um, she just tripped over me and hurt herself. But, uh, but uh, and so, 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed uh, for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and, t- and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into his hands of sinner, into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs and chief priests and elders and people. Now the betrayer had even given them a sign saying, The one I kiss is the man sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then he came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Lord, I just pray that um, such, a, such a deep passage, Lord, there's so much going on internally, even within Jesus. The, uh, some of the same emotions that Jesus was experiencing. Sometimes we experience those, Lord. As he's working through your perfect will, Lord, I pray that um, we understand what it is to work through your perfect will, Father. And as Jesus submitted to that will through times of just getting to know the heart of the Father, Father, I just pray that, that we would submit to your will as, as Jesus did. Teach us what it is to begin to submit and walk in obedience to that will. Teach us what it is to work through your will, Lord. Father, I just pray that um, this morning would be helpful to some and would sit deeply within, um, within us, Lord, and that Jesus would become more real to us even this morning. Amen. So we're going to watch a, this video here, and I, I want you to get the picture of what it was like for Jesus, and I think the Passion does a pretty good pretty good job of it, and we're not going to watch the very end where it talks, where we have the, um, Jesus stepping on the snake, because it's not really in scripture, um, they use a little bit of interpretive license, but I just want you to see the agony that Jesus was going through in this moment.
You can stop it there. Not mine. So we see Jesus in the garden, and it seems somewhat foreign to us that Jesus would be in such a place of angst and, and struggle through it, even agony, to the point where he's, he's bleeding drops of blood. It seems hard to imagine that, but the Scripture does seem to reveal that. I don't know if Satan like showed up in that moment. I can't remember necessarily if the Scriptures talk about that necessarily, but there definitely were these conflicting thoughts within his head. He, he actually speaks, Lord, I know what's about to come for, for me. I know what your will is, but is there any other way that this can take place? Is there any other option for, for me? And yet the father comes back to him and he says, essentially, this is, this is my will, is that you, you would experience the full wrath of God in, in, that, in, a, in a moment. And so he's struggling. You see this struggle, this agony of working out God's will in his life. And there's no other question that I probably get more, and I bet John doesn't get more than then questions of working out God's will. I mean, college students especially, but even adults, we struggle. In fact, it, like even at the concert the other day, we were, I had somebody come up and ask me, just like, what's God's will for my life? And people are constantly struggling through God's will for their life. There's this, 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 this thing within the idea of God's will that really seems somewhat uh, foreign to us or even we struggle with. And we can agonize over things. Sometimes we even agonize over, uh, we agonize over things like, what's, what, what am I supposed to be doing, right? What's my job supposed to be? Sometimes we agonize, right, like college students, of, am I supposed to be, like, dating this person? Am I supposed to be, like, am I supposed to marry this person? 
sometimes as, a, as us in our in our homes and things like that, like adults, we struggle with like what's God's will for even things like my finances. Like we may agonize at times, and I see more people in struggle with God's will, just struggling to work through it. In fact, I see so many people locked in this place of agony all the time that they can actually never move beyond what is God's will for me. And they never get to the place where they actually move beyond it and they don't actually end up doing anything because they're so locked in fear and, and trouble in their own lives because they, they can't set pinpoint what is God's will for me in this arena or that arena. And they really just spend all this time and effort struggling through God's will and they never move beyond it. Jesus gives us this picture of what it is to come before the Lord and say, this isn't my desire. This isn't my desire, but I'm willing to walk in obedience to the Lord and submit to the Lord and complete God's perfect will for my life. Because here's the question. John Piper puts it really well, I think. John Piper puts it really well on talking about the Lord's will for our lives. It's, it's kind of easy to understand God's will for our lives. If, it, if you were to chart your life on a, on a graph, there's points, there's high points, and then there's low points, there's high points, and then there's low points. It's really easy to chart your life if it's, if it's constantly moving up. Like Joseph is a good example, right? Joseph, you see God's hand in everything in Joseph's life, right? It goes up, you know, and then it goes back down. He's cast into another prison there, and then it goes even further, and then it goes back down, and it goes up, and, it, and Joseph's life actually ends on a pinnacle, right? We see him established. We see him with authority. We see him as a man who's followed in God's will and been obedient and submitted himself to the, to the will of the Father, but we have, on the other hand, somebody like John the Baptist, whose life was one of, in the wilderness, okay, a little bit lower, right? He's one of eating locusts and eating, re- reduced to eating bugs and different things, a little bit lower, right? We see him being made fun of and tormented a little bit lower. His life is a little bit lower. He, we see him then get thrown in jail a little bit lower, and then we see even his doubts a little bit about what's going on with, uh, with Jesus, and we see him a little bit lower, and then we see his head get chopped off way low, <laughs> way low, uh, even a little shorter, and the trajectory of his life, if you plotted it on a graph, ends up in a place of extremely low. Would you be okay with if God's will for your life is that trajectory of constant downward? Or would you rebel and say, Lord, my personal desire is going to win out? Because that's really what's going on in the garden here, is Jesus is showing what it is to be in agony over something to where it's either God's will going to win out or our submission or our submission to God's will is going to win out or our personal desire because personal desire is always what ends up keeping us from God's will for our life personal desire will lead you down some roads where you'll end up in the place that God it may be a little bit funner for a season but personal desire will always lead you out of the place of God's will And so we've really got to work through what it is to to be in God's will for our life. 
And sometimes we make it a lot harder than it necessarily has to be. But Jesus really shows that, it's, that, that it is okay to agonize over God's will for a period of time. It's okay to agonize over that. He spent some time in really strong agony. Some, 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 there was some tough things going on there in the garden. He was working through some really tough stuff. He did not want to go to the cross. He didn't want to have his hands nailed to the cross. He didn't want to have his feet nailed to the cross. He didn't want to be cut in seven places and have his guts spilled out all over the place. That wasn't his personal desire necessarily. He asked, Lord, is there anything else that can be done about this? And even more so, he didn't want his father's wrath coming down on him. But ultimately, he was more about God's glory than his own. And Jesus shows us what an example it is to not be stuck in the agony of personal desire. He gets up. He goes on. And he completes the will of the Father. He gets up. He moves out of that place of, of OCD. He moves out of that place out of anxiety attacks. He gets up. He moves beyond, that. He moves beyond the place of being stuck. He gets up. And so I want you to kind of really work through this this morning with us. How do we figure out God's will? And I think, it's, I think it, we really understand it better through just continuing on in this passage, but we're going to skip to John. John um, talks about when Judas actually comes up to, to meet um, Jesus. John 18 in 5 gives us a really unique revelation to God's will, I think. It just kind of, it is subtle, but I hope you catch it. And we'll spend just two points and we'll be done this morning. So how do we work through God's will in our lives and overcome personal desire? 18.5 says this. They answered him, this is when they came up to him, uh, and, and they said, like, who are you? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with, him, with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, John has spoke about this several times. They actually fell on their face when Judas shows up uh, and asks, who are you? Jesus proclaims, I am he. Now, that seems insignificant in some ways. But if you look at the Greek and if you look at the book of John in general, Jesus 15 times proclaims himself to be the I am. The I am. He says, I am the way. I am this. I am. And what he's saying is, and eventually you see even the, uh, the Sanhedrin hold this against him as his proclamation as the I am, you see him holding it. What he's proclaiming is back when Moses was talking to the Lord, the Lord uh, or God face to face, who the, they all hold as incredibly reverent in this moment of when he's at the burning bush, Moses says, who do I say that you are? Moses or the God returns and says, tell them I am the I am. And what that means is he's the God who's present. The God who is all in all. The God who is, that is everything. The God who is right there. And so, like, he's, 
he's actually in that moment. He is, the, he is the God over all. He is everything. He is present. So that's what he's proclaiming. And then Jesus comes on the, the scene. This is like the holiest name that you can proclaim yourself to be is the I am because it's saying you're all in all. You're everything. Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am the I am. He says, I am everything. I am everything. He says, he says that about themselves, and they lose their mind because they're saying, you are proclaiming to be the God of all, the God of everything, that holds everything together, that puts everything together, and moves in everything, and all things are meant to glorify you. Jesus proclaims that about himself. He says, I am. And in the moment, they fall back. Judas and all, all the other who come to arrest them, they fall to the ground in that moment. They're blown away by it. But in the same way, Jesus is the I am. I used to be really confused about this. I used to get really confused about this, and it has a lot to do with God's will in our lives. Actually, it has everything to do with God's will in our lives. I think most of us understand that Jesus is the I am, but we think about it in a different way. I think we struggle through this because... And, we, and it's, a, it's a critical mistake in working through and getting out of the agony of God's will in our life. It's a critical mistake we make because I used to think this way. I used to think Jesus is the I am giving you peace. I used to think that Jesus is the I am going to deliver you. I used to think that Jesus is the I am going to heal you. I used to think, you know, I'm struggling with my house payment, Lord. The I am going to give you or make some way happen that you're going to get a house payment. I used to think that. So I used to think, do you get what I'm saying? I, I used to say, you know, like struggling through addiction, whatever it might be, you know. I am going to give you deliverance from that addiction. I used to think that Jesus was the, uh, you know, like somebody struggling with cancer. Jesus is going to give, I am going to give you uh, healing for, from cancer. I used to think that way, okay? That's a critical mistake in understanding God's will for your life. You've got to, and I want you to see it. Because Jesus says it's a little bit different. He doesn't say, I am going to necessarily give you this. He is, he is not the I am going to give. He is the I am. I am healing. I am your riches. I am everything. Do you understand the difference? Jesus is it. Jesus is our deliverance. There's a difference there. Do you understand that? He's not there going to give you deliverance. He actually is deliverance in your life. I am peace. His names, if you look at his, his names in the Old Testament, is Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Jehovah uh, 
Sekinu Adakiza, the Lord our righteousness. Elohim, the everlasting God. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. And so, in the midst of the hills and the valleys, so I'm at the top of a hill, I'm asking the Lord for, for deliverance from something, and I go down into the valley. I'm struggling through something. You know, I'm asking the Lord for possessions to maybe meet my needs. I'm not sure whatever it is. The, the answer is not necessarily in the valley that I get whatever I'm asking for. It's not that I get, I, like, I'm struggling because I don't have a wife or I, you know, whatever it is. You know, now I have a wife. I'm just using that as an example. I'm, it's not that I'm struggling through that and I'm asking the Lord to give me a wife. I'm asking the Lord to get, and the Lord provides a wife and I'm all better. You will actually be in the same valley if that's the answer. The, the answer to the valley is not that you get a wife, it's that gee, you get more of Jesus. That's going to pull you out of that valley. And so even if your life ends with your head getting chopped off, or you end up in a, a, a cage somewhere for the Lord, or end up in this terrible place, you get more of Jesus. And God's will is being fulfilled in your life. This is critically important for you to understand. It's not, that, it's not that you move from point A to point B, right? It's not that you end up in a, in, from point A to point B. It's that we actually get more of God. And so the, the struggle with our personal desires becomes even more clear. Like we're longing for these personal desires or those personal desires, these things to take place. The Lord is wiping all that stuff away in the midst of this life and giving you the opportunity just to get more of Jesus, the I am. And that is the only way you'll be satisfied. Now, some, sometimes, sometimes he does provide a wife. Sometimes he does provide possessions. Sometimes he does do those things, but, but that's, the, that's the icing on the cake. That's not the, that's not the cake, really. Uh, or maybe the best part for you is the icing. My son only eats the icing, so maybe that, you know, it's not a good analogy. Um, why is it so important that Jesus said, I am the way? And why can you find so much freedom in this? Why can you find freedom in Jesus being the I am? So his disciples are even struggling with this. When Jesus is saying, I don't know how to get to you. How do we actually get to you, Jesus? He, sa- he comes back with them. He's, like, he's, he's proclaiming, you know, one day I'm going to heaven and, uh, uh, and I want you to be with me there. Jesus is, uh, comes back and, said, and they ask, we don't even know how to get there. What's your will for us to even get there? And Jesus comes back and says, like, I am the way. So he doesn't give them point A or A to B. This is how you necessarily get there. He just says, I am that way. This is why we're really bad with instructions. If, if the Lord said, if the Lord said, so if you go and do this, if you go to this place and do this, and then you go from this place and do this, and then if you go from that, that place and do this, 
you, it'll work out for you. But we're really bad with instructions. I'm really bad with instructions. So the freedom that we have in just saying Jesus is the way is we just get to release it all up to him. Because, like my son, my son, it, like he's got this favorite saying right now. It says, he, he always says, like I go tell, I go tell my son, uh, uh, hey, go put that in the trash, will you? You know, like just don't leave that thing on the floor. And he always comes back with, what did you say? That's his favorite. Uh, I just told you what I said. Go put it in the trash. What did you say? Uh, he always comes back with that. He always says, what did you say? Until I actually physically pick him up, go take him to the trash can, and he puts it in the trash. And really what he's asking is not like, what did you say? That's not the question that he's asking. He's like, he's like more so, I don't completely comprehend what you're, what you're saying. But in the, in the same way, like the Lord, if the Lord were to tell you, if the Lord were to tell you, uh, um, DJ, I need you to go to Africa. You would come back and say, what did you say? What did you say? DJ, I need you to go to Africa. What did you say? DJ, get on this boat. Go this time. Go to Africa. What did you say? Like if the Lord came down and gave you exact instructions on how to work this thing out, you would be constantly coming back to what you say. I mean, men are really bad with instructions, right? I mean, they completely just throw instructions to the side. I mean, when I was doing my baby crib together, I got it up and then it falls down because I didn't follow the instructions whatsoever. Men especially just do not follow instructions whatsoever. We're constantly struggling through things, you know? And so in the same way my, my, that my son, you know, he, uh, he struggles with directions and what to do with directions and all those different things. Sometimes I just got to pick him up. And, like potty training has been really tough, to, uh, And I have to give him an example of how potty training works. Don't go there, but that's just, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to show him. But it's like the other night, it's like, it's like we're going to the concert here. And he has... He, and, we're, and he has no idea what a concert is. He has no idea what a concert is. So I keep on telling him, we're going to the concert. It's going to be a lot of fun, right? You're going to end up in this place where you go to the, we're going to the concert. Now, he has no idea what the concert is. He keeps on calling it a cert. It is not a cert. It's a concert. <laughs> and so, and so uh, he doesn't ask. My son doesn't ask. How do I get there, Dad? He doesn't say, are we going to take this car? And are we going to take this route to get there? He, he doesn't ask that. He just basically comes along for the ride. Right? Like, he just ends up where I'm going. He just ends up in the exact place he's supposed to be just because he's, uh, he's going with me. You know, and even a better analogy is like... Uh, uh, Sometimes we're like, if we're going down to like a, a fair or something like that, you know, and we're going through a crowd and it's kind of crazy. And he would never, if I, let, if I let him go, he would get totally confused on the direction that he's supposed to go. 
because there's just too much stuff going on. I've got to actually physically put him on my shoulders and just carry him to that exact place that he's supposed to go. But he's just going where I go. He's not doing anything on his own accord, really. So he just ends up where I end up. And so you want to know how to do God's will is you get super close to the Lord, you end up on his back, and you just end up where he's going. You just end up where he's at. Quit worrying in OCD about the little stuff. That house stuff is going to work out. One way or another, you'll either lose the house and, or, you know, you'll uh, end up homeless, you know, whatever, and get to see the Lord take care of you that way. It's all good. You're going to end up in heaven one day. <laughs> it's all good. You know, quit worrying about whether or not she's going to say yes or no when you, you, you know, when you pop the question, she may say no. That's probably not the Lord's will for your life. <laughs> Quit worrying about it. Quit worrying about it. Release it. Quit worrying about whether or not you're going to get like, fired from the job or whatever. You just do your part. And if you end up getting fired, you get fired. And that's really hard to say. That's really hard to here because our personal desire is not that you would get fired from your job, right? Our personal desire is not that. But here's the thing. It's not about you or me. It's about God's will. So Augustus said, said this. A group of men came up and asked him, what, what, um, Augustine said, there's a group of men gathered around him, and the men kept on asking, what's God's will for, 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 for us? And he says, and Augustine comes up and, and says, it's really cool what he says. He's like, the Lord's desire is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart. And if you love the Lord with all your heart, just do whatever your heart desires. Do whatever your heart desires. That's kind of a cool place to be. So like these verses say, trust in the Lord. This is Proverbs 3, 3, 8. It says, trust in the Lord with, with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your paths straight. He will make your path straight. He'll be the one who does it. He'll take you on that journey. He'll walk you through it. But lean not on your own understanding. Quit trying to figure it out by yourself. Lean, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding and He will make your path straight. Another good verse that says, uh, uh, I forgot to write it down, but I think it's Psalms 34. says, Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? What does that mean? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It means this. 
that if you love the Lord, your heart is becoming like the Lord's. And so what you do, what your heart desires, follow it. Follow your heart. As weird as that sounds, as, as, as strange as that sounds, like you love the Lord, if you're in a relationship of experiencing intimacy with the Lord, just follow your heart. Now I'm going to get to some other things later, so don't, don't start calling me a heretic yet to say follow your heart, but that's just what scripture says. It's saying, you love the Lord, your heart is being transformed. Jeremiah 31 says that the Lord is actually taking your stony heart and making it into a fleshy heart so that you'll do the will of the Lord. The, the will of the, the Lord is written on your heart. So if you're experiencing per, personal intimacy with the Lord and you love the Lord, whatever your heart is doing and leading you to is of the Lord. So that your heart is saying, I want to go to Africa. Follow your heart in that. Yeah, go do that thing, you know? The, Romans 8 says this, and we know God causes all things to work together for good for those that love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purposes. So you may go to Africa, you're following your heart because you love the Lord, and you may end up dead, but that thing will still be good. That'll still be good. And so the Lord, this is kind of the freedom that we find in God's will. If you love the Lord, just do whatever your heart pleases. Do whatever your heart pleases. Now, loving the Lord is kind of a strange thing because I was a Christian for a long time before I learned what it was to really like love the Lord. To, to really love the Lord. That took a while. And it's the Lord that causes it and does it, but... Like my day yesterday, my, my wife and kids were out of town. They've gone up to see the grandparents. And I'm just giving you a personal example for me. Like, my day was just spent with the Lord. I just had this quiet time because I love the Lord. I love Jesus. If you would have asked me what I was doing yesterday, I would have said, hey, me and Jesus are just uh, painting this deck here. If you would have seen me like walking down the road and you come up to me, yeah, me and Jesus are just taking a walk together. You're talking to yourself, Jeremy. It's really weird. No, I'm talking to Jesus. <laughs> I'm talking to Jesus here. I love Jesus. I mean, like my, my, my day, um, and I really, I just want to acknowledge Jesus, what he's done in my heart. Like, I really woke up the night before thinking, how can I spend my day with Jesus? I knew my family was going to be out of town. Uh, and sometimes they get distracted with having little kids running around and stuff like that. But my, my day was just really excited just to know how I could spend my time with Jesus. How can I just align my day in such a way that I get the opportunity just to spend time with Jesus and be satisfied with Him? And that's just my personal testimony. But... I, the scripture is actually saying that if you're in love with the Lord, just follow your heart. Now, if you're not in love with the Lord, don't follow your heart. Don't follow it. It will lead you down some desperately wicked places. You'll end up in the, the stupidest places in the world. Mostly bathrooms passed out knowing, uh, no idea how you got there. But, yeah, I went there. Don't follow your heart if your heart doesn't love the Lord. 
But Scripture kind of talks about this as well. If, if your heart doesn't follow the Lord, how can you move into a place where you're receiving the will of the Lord? If your heart isn't one that's, that's chasing after Jesus, if your heart isn't something that is pursuing the Lord, how can you know God's will? And it begins here in Romans 12. Romans 12 talks about it a little bit, and then we'll be done. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So if you're struggling to discern what the will of God is for your life, you're working through it, your personal desire is actually winning out over, and you're never entering into the will of God, what He intends for your life, Scripture is very specific. He says, you need to kill those personal desires. You need to become a living sacrifice. You need to actually lay those things down. So if your personal desires are conflicting with the will of God over here, you actually need to put those on the altar and kill that thing. If your personal desires you're struggling with, you, you say, I'm, I, the will of God may be this for my life, but I'm, I really just want to continue in this thing for a little while. It says it's better that you would kill those things so that you can actually step into the perfect will of God. And so if it's, if it's you know, your personal desires is something of um, uh, wealth, you know, and it's keeping you from actually moving into the will of God for your life and really having a love for the Lord then you actually need to kill that thing in your life. Now, here's the interesting thing about a living sacrifice. John Corson, I think, says it really well. A living sacrifice, as opposed to what? A dead sacrifice is really wiggly and squirmy. It's really hard to put a living sacrifice on the altar. They keep on jumping off that altar. They keep on wanting every day just to, to move out of that place of death to itself. A living sacrifice often will one day be on the altar, and the next day it'll be somewhere else. And so, and so a living sacrifice is something day by day in which you go to the Lord and say, I've got to kill this thing within me that's keeping me from the presence of God. A living sacrifice is something that is continually seeing something within itself where I have the opportunity to lay down and, and become, become more like Jesus. And so as you become that living sacrifice and you lay down your personal desires, you actually step more into that will of God. So here's the hard question, right? And Robbie and you guys can start to make your way up here. A little short this morning. Is here, here's the question, and you, and you know. You know in your own life. Where are your personal desires 
keeping you from stepping into the will of God? Are you in places that are weary and dry? I mean, here's the thing. You can be in the hardest place in the world and still be completely joyful in your circumstances because you know without a shadow of a doubt that the Lord is in your midst and ordaining it. Jesus gets up. He has that peace to go into the place of himself becoming a sacrifice. Jesus gave that example. He said, I'm going to lay down my personal desires. I'm going to lay down what I want to do so that the Lord's will may be fulfilled in my life. Have you moved to that place? To the altar? Have you gone to that place of the altar and said, I'm willing to lay down my personal desires, my popularity, my wealth. I'm going to lay down those things that are keeping me from really stepping into the fullness of God? Or do you say, like, I just, I'm going to dive into this world just a little bit more. Like, like Pharaoh, who said, you can't leave today, Moses, but you can do the will of the, the, the Father tomorrow. Just put it off one more day. I'm just going to put it off one more day. And in the process, you see your heart continually more hardened to the Lord. You see your heart become colder. You see your heart just becoming that thing that's rather than being fleshy, where the will of God is being written onto your heart. And the Lord has got something that's moldable and pliable. It becomes something that's, that's hard. It's, it's something of stone. It's tough to work with. Tough to work with. Maybe you're just in that place of agony. Where you're not willing to give up those personal desires yet. You're just struggling through it. You haven't found freedom. You haven't found the freedom just to walk in the will of God no matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter. You get Jesus. Maybe you're struggling through that place. And so this morning, we're just going to have an opportunity just to go through some prayer and have some people come pray over you. And you need to say, I just need to lay some of my stuff down on, on the altar. I need to get rid of it. I need to say, I need to be walking in the will of God for my life. I need to see some things just slain in my life. And here's here's the promise of of Romans 8, right? When you see that begin to take take place, and the Lord becomes your delight, where you live for Jesus, your life becomes about Jesus, Jesus becomes your everything, I promise you these issues of God's will What am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to do there? They'll begin to work themselves out. They'll begin to work themselves out. And you can just rest. Like Hebrews says, you just move into a place of rest rather than a place of just wandering around.
wandering around the desert. Do you feel like you're in a place of wandering around the desert? Or have you gone to the spring? Let's pray. Lord, you're so good to us to have given your son. And he gives us an example of all things, even what it is to struggle through the will of God for his life. Jesus, in his personal desires, did not want to go to the cross at first. He said, Lord, is there any other way? But then Jesus submits to the Father and says, your will is perfect because he loves you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that is willing to just lay down our lives on the altar, offer them as a living sacrifice to the Lord, and get to step into the perfect will of the Lord, that I pray for these people that, that and myself that we are at peace with you because of the peace that you are. Lord, I just pray that we would quit wandering, going to and fro in all these different places, constantly saying, crying, let us go back to Egypt. Let us go back to the place of the world. But that we would say, let's move forward into the promised land together. That's the will of God for our lives, that we would move into the promised land. And so, Lord, I pray that Jesus would be our way. They would just hop on his back and say, I'm going where you're going. I want to end up wherever you're going. Man, Jesus is so good better than anything I've tasted in this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.